Well, as we do every Tuesday, time to talk to Leo Schlink about uh, matters racing and also some tennis. Uh, morning, Leo. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. We might start with racing. You must have thought you were back in Australia on Sunday, did you? Every time I switched on the <laughs> TV, it was James McDonald or Jamie Carr or uh, Huey Bowman. Uh, but a great day's racing uh, sort of highlighted by Golden 60. Uh, very much so, yeah. So we had... Um and Zach Burton, of course, he's up to 99 wins for the, the season now, the, the Australian mainstay in terms of jockeys in Hong Kong. But um, in terms of um, horse racing, um, the great win by Golden 60 was widely thought that when he faced Romantic Warrior in the uh, Hong Kong Gold Cup that he would be susceptible at 2,000 metres. Um, but it was a brilliant ride by Vincent Ho. And um, the end, uh, um, in, the, in the end, it was a, a, a head margin uh, to Golden 60 beating Romantic Warrior. So they've had... Two races, these two, and uh, both times it's gone to Golden 60. And there was a thought at the start of the season that this would be the passing of the baton. Um, so far, it hasn't proved the case. And um, the seven-year-old, he's racing as well as ever. You made mention there of Zach Purton. Leo, we know he's said a few times he's getting close to retirement, but 99 wins, he's nearly double his next competitor. When you're riding in the form he's in, is there any chance you think he might go a few more seasons longer than he's saying? It's hard to tell. Um, Huey Bowman made the comment not so long ago that Zach's been talking about, um, you know, maybe relocating to Australia for a long time. But um, and the form he's in right now and the commanding lead, he's got a sixth championship at his mercy. Um, he's going back to ride in Sydney this weekend, and he's got a, uh, a two meeting ban to serve um, after that. But that's probably the only thing that will stop him breaking Joe Marrero's record of 170 wins in a season. Um, so we're up to um, we've had 40 eight meetings of, of 88. So he's got 40 meetings left basically to get um, 71 winners. And uh, at his rate of um, victories at the moment, you would think that's well within his grasp. Huey Bowman has had a big impact on it. But as for Zach's future, he's he's uh, 40. Um, and um, we know he's obviously much closer to the, the end than he is the start. But he is so successful here. It's going to be hard for him to walk away. But we also know that one day he will. Um, it's just a matter of when. Wow, not bad uh, tossing up retirement at 40, is it? Um, puts things into uh, some sort of perspective. He mentioned, uh, you know, en route to coming over here that it's not easy to uh, get a release from the uh, uh, Hong Kong Jockey Club, I assume it is, to come and uh, ride elsewhere. What is the process you have to go through there, Leo? And is it a rare sort of concession they've granted him? Um, it's, it's now because of, uh, with the relaxation with COVID, it's, it's a lot simpler than it was. And that was probably the biggest issue. Um, there was several years ago, um, an instant where there was, uh, in a circumstances beyond anyone's control when there was a big storm. And I, there were a couple of jockeys who didn't get back from, it was a, a meeting and the turnover reflected that. And I think it might have been even Zach and Joe Marrera. Um, so that, that was a moment. Um, where it required the club to look at it again, and um, but for when it's a group one meeting, and um, they they would do it at their discretion. But it's you, you see right now, um, you know, like last weekend, for example, when you've got James McDonald, Blake Shin, Jamie Carr, all coming in. Uh, Blake, uh, sorry, um, Hugh Bowman had ridden in Sydney the day before and came back. Um, so right now, there's a lot more fluidity about it, and. Um, I think that makes it a lot more appealing for jockeys on both sides to be able to come up here or, or jockeys from here to go back down to Australia and ride and, and from other jurisdictions as well. Ryan Moore loves to come in and ride. Um, so for jockeys to leave here, um, it, it has been problematic during COVID, but it was the same for everybody. 
We know it's very much a male-dominated industry up there in Hong Kong, Leo. E- even the horses themselves, there's very few mares around, <laughs> so, which I still find a bit amazing. But Jamie Carr seems to have made a bit of impression there. Is there a, a, a chance that, that, that Jamie may be you know, moving there for longer stints in the future? I think she'd be perfect for Hong Kong. Um, she was really unlucky on Sunday. She she rode five seconds and still almost won the, the jockey challenge. Um, but I think she'd be perfect because um, she can ride light. Uh, she likes to get her horses forward on the pace, and that's exactly what the majority of Hong Kong trainers love. They love to see the horses up there, um, and she's very well regarded. So I, I think at some stage in the future, she would be a perfect fit for Hong Kong. Um, and it's the same with every jockey that comes to Hong Kong um, from wherever they are. Um, it's got to work for them at the time and whatever they're looking for. And there will come a time when um, Zach dies and that will change the whole dynamic because before him um, alone, it was um, him and Joe. And that went on for eight or nine seasons, those two just dominating. Um, before that, it was Douglas White. I think there's an era not too far away when you look at the impact that Hugh Bowman's had there's someone like Jamie Carr can slide in and have a massive impact. And just uh, moving on to tennis uh, now, Leo, Cameron Norrie, uh, the British player, seems to be going through a nice little spell of form. Yeah, so he, he um, he's had a couple of big matches against Carlos Alcaraz and he got revenge. Uh, this week in Rio, he, he'd been beaten the week before in, in Buenos Aires. Um, Alcaraz led this final a set and three love ended up losing uh, the last two sets, 6-4, 7-5. Uh, didn't make a big deal about it, but clearly had a mobility issue and Norrie was good enough to take advantage of it. Um, really hard-working player, Cam Norrie, one of the most international players out there. Um, his parents are Scottish. I think he was born in, in uh, Africa, grew up in New Zealand and um, played for New Zealand. And then uh, it, he got a deal with uh, Great Britain and has played with them and just worked incredibly hard to get where he is now. He deserved to win that match because even if Alcaraz did have a problem, which clearly he did, um, you still have to beat him, and um, that was a great result for him. And Novak Djokovic, we said last week he'd drawn even with Steffi Graf as world number one, the most weeks at world number one, and now another week has gone, and he's now gone past Steffi Graf. Yeah, it's it's just a remarkable achievement uh, when you think of what 378 wins equates to in years, and and you look at the other metric around that record, apart from Steffi being on 377, the previous record set and held was, um, well, Roger Federer is next in the pecking order, a player as great as him, and um, he's got 310 weeks. So Novak has put 68 weeks on him already. Um, so just tells you how consistent he's been and uh, you know, just how brilliant he's been. And to get to world number one out of all the tennis players in the world and stay there for that amount of time, um, John Newcomb, um, had a spell there. Um, Pat Rafter was there for a week. We both, we all know how brilliant those players are. Um, it just goes to show you that this guy is a machine and um, with the number of rankings points he's got to defend going right through um, this year, basically, no, none at Wimbledon. Um, Carlos Alcaraz is the fly in the ointment. He, he could change it. But uh, you'd think that Novak will keep on going at this rate until probably the Australian Open next year. It's an incredible feat when you think, uh, of course, he did it at the same time Federer and uh, Nadal were around. You think they'd be taking a exactly. few weeks here and there themselves. But, uh, yeah, it's just un- absolutely unbelievable. On the women's side of things, uh, Leo, uh, where is uh, the action C? I see Barbora Krajcikova beat um, Iga Fontek on the weekend. Yeah, that was a, re- a remarkable performance because... Um, 
she ha she was down uh, four match points um, above or in the in the second round, I believe, against Daria Kasatkina. Uh, Save four match points there. Then she came out and beat the uh, world numbers um, two, three, and one um, in order um, to win, and, and she beat um, Iga comfortably in the end, six four six two. Um, that would be, I would say, her biggest singles title since she won the French Open. Um, so um, she's a very consistent player, uh, wins a lot on the doubles as well. So she's not walked away from doubles since becoming an established singles star. Um, that was a big win for her. And um, Kim, Camille Georgie um, won an event in Merida. Um, and there are a couple of other uh, men's events at the weekend um, also. Uh, but this week, the, the, the main focus is back in Dubai where you've got... Um, all the big players and and Novak coming back for his first event since the Australian Open. Leo, you made mention there about Wimbledon, no points to defend. There were no points at Wimbledon this year. I think that was one of the uh, the poor decisions, not just they banning the, the Russian and Belarusian players, but it was no world championship points or no world ranking points. I, I thought that was almost farcical. Surely if they ban those players again, they're not going to do that as well, are they? You'd, you'd hope not, and because this was the um, the decision of the tours almost to try and weaken Wimbledon, and uh, right now it's still being debated. And uh, the argument, um, which goes to what you're saying, Paul, about the players is that it's not their fault um, that this war has started, this tragic war. And um, you've got players like Andre Rublev, who has been out there so anti-war and putting himself in incredible danger by doing so, and him and his family. Um, there were things at the Australian Open where um, security wanted to move people with uh, Ukrainian flags and Rublev has intervened and said, no, they're, they're fine, leave them there, they're, they're OK. Um, and it's, it's the same, politics and sport, it's never a great mix at any time and um, yeah, there's a lot to be done at the moment. Wimbledon's got a lot on its hands. They're, um, they're struggling with the local residents to get their development done across the road where they'll have 38 more grass courts and a new stadium so they can play qualifying there. Then, more in a more pressing fashion, they've got this whole business uh, with what do they do with um, the Russian and Belarusian players. And um, either way they go, they're going to be criticised. And um, I think if they follow the model of the Australian Open, uh, they can do little things around representation and, and flags, etc. Um, I think that would be a far better solution. It's an interesting one, Leo. I mean, I wonder how they can justify uh, overturning the ban because certainly the war hasn't stopped. <laughs> the war oh, continues. No, that's on. right. Yeah. Uh, so somehow they've got to come up with a. If in fact they are going to allow them to play with rationale for it, I don't know if it's something as simple as you know we made the point last year, but now you know we're going to yeah, let them play. We... I don't know how they do it. They'll, they'll be briefed by government, and um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what that is. And I imagine um, that. It hasn't changed too much uh, from the government's point yeah. of view. But from a sporting point of view, um, I think that, that they would see um, with players like Sabalenka and Medvedev, etc., uh, they're not necessarily the huge uh, box uh, um, office uh, kind of factors that other uh, players are, but that's never been it for Wimbledon. Um, and, that, and for them, essentially, they'll make a decision that suits them the best. And But there is a lot of pressure coming from the tours right now in terms of sanctions that if you... Uh, in, and other ways that if you know you ban these players, you're punishing players for something that they're not responsible for. That that's the strong thing that's coming through at the moment. Mm. Good on you, Leo. Always a pleasure to chat to you. We'll catch up next Tuesday, mate. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andrew.